Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to this week's Commons People podcast brought to you from the Huffington Post UK's politics team. It has been a week which has been dominated by the tragic events of Paris from last Friday, the terrorist attack which left 129 people dead. Uh, Much of the focus this week was on how Britain should react to that. It was also a bit of a nightmare week for Jeremy Corbyn, who got in a kerfuffle over shoot-to-kill policy. Ken Livingstone managed to repeatedly put his foot in his mouth with a jive about mental illness. And next week, we'll be, uh, we'll be looking forward to next week's spending review, where George Osborne will try and square the circle of tax credits. Joining me this week, as ever, I have Mr Paul War. Hello, Owen. Who is, of course, executive editor. We also have Ned Simons. Hello, Owen. Thank you. And we have Graham, I can't pronounce your surname still, go on. It's Dominic. Graham Dominic. Like Dominic with an E. Right. Think of it like that. Okay, we'll get there eventually. Um, First of all, the political week, as I said, dominated by Paris. I guess the next thing now is, is Britain going to get involved in the bombing campaign against ISIS in Syria? Now, currently, Britain bombs ISIS in Iraq. We don't have a mandate from Parliament to continue that bombing campaign into Syria. But David Cameron was very clear this week that he may well uh, take military action in Syria without a UN resolution. Here's a clip of him making that point at PMQs. Uh, I couldn't be clearer with the uh, right honourable gentleman. Of course, it is always preferable in whatever action you're taking, whether we are lifting people out of the Mediterranean, whether we're flying Baltic air patrolling missions over countries that feel a Russian threat, or if we're taking action in the Middle East against ISIL, it's always preferable to have a UN Security Council resolution. But if they are vetoed or threatened with a veto over and over again, my job, frankly, as Prime Minister is not to read a Servation opinion poll, but is to do the right thing to keep our country safe. So Paul, I'd like to get your thoughts on this because this is an issue that in some ways, I think you said in your, your memo today, echoes Tony Blair, Iraq 2003, saying that he would get involved without a UN resolution. Is this the kind of tap that Cameron's taking? Well, Cameron knows that Labour has a problem on this, but equally knows he's got to get the numbers in Parliament. One thing that Tony Blair did institute was this convention. Previously, don't forget, Prime Ministers in Britain didn't need this convention, which is that the House of Commons has to now approve a major military intervention overseas. Um, Blair, for all his faults, started that convention. It's continued by Brown and by Cameron. And so he has to seek the consensus of all the parties in the Commons. He thinks now he's seen an opening in the wake of Paris for a lot of Labour MPs to say, yeah, let's seize the day. There's no difference. What I think is quite interesting is this whole issue of the UN. Um, Because Charlie Faulkner was on the Ma programme on Sunday, and he raised this idea where he said, look, if possible, of course we'd love to get the UN. But if not, then nations come together. Now, that was a clear hint that Labour could evolve its policy and that it could back military action in Syria. Um, McFadden made the point, a very valid point yesterday, that, of course, at the moment, what we're doing in Iraq has no UN backing. So it's not a massive leap from doing that in Iraq to doing that in Syria. 
is the problem, uh, Graham? Do you think the problem here is not necessarily doing something without the UN? It's just the way the UN's put together. Because at the end of the day, the people in the Security Council, Russia, can veto any action. And they were going to veto it for their own selfish reasons, right? So is this not a problem with the UN, the way the UN's put together? Um, yeah, possibly. I think one of, the, one of the problems I think the government has in terms of getting the numbers together is that um, they haven't kind of really articulated what the, what, what, the, what, the plan, what the plan actually is. What are they there? What are they? What are they we use this word kind of bombing and airstrikes, but what, what, what does that actually mean? If you speak to MPs like Johnny Mercer, um, a Tory MP who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, he says that... that Served in the army for 13 years, of abs- Absolutely, a veteran. Um, he makes the point that, the, that, that Britain can offer kind of a capability that the US and the French, um, French can't offer. And I've, I've not heard kind of Cameron making specific kind of uh, outlining outline the case beyond, you know, we need to stop this kind of death cult. And I think that, that kind of worries a lot of MPs, and particularly the assessment to do with, it's not just the bombing, it's kind of what, what, what happens next. And what happens after... In terms of reconstruction, what happens in terms of um, you know how how you t- return stability to and that could be to, quite the, to these places to and persuading Labour MPs, couldn't it? Because there probably quite a few Labour MPs that will SMP, vote for action, whatever. SMP MPs as well. I think that's a few that if his comprehensive strategy to take on ISIS is actually comprehensive, he could start to peel off maybe more Labour MPs that might be on the fence on whether to vote with him or not. So when we talk about learning the lessons from Iraq, is the lesson from Iraq one would argue? Not not to get involved, but to get involved with a clear plan of what you do after you send the military in a post-military plan. And that is what a lot of that, a lot of MPs are looking for. Let's be honest. That's going to be one of the main conclusions of the Chilcot report when it finally arrives. It's going to say, of course, you needed post-war planning. Post, of course, you needed reconstruction. Of course, you needed the diplomacy. But what's different here is you've got a civil war going on, mm-hmm. um, and that's what worries a lot of Labour and SNP MPs. But the government already this week is is getting together an outline of a comprehensive plan, the plan that the Foreign Affairs Select Committee wants. Now, they reckon they're going to come up with that in a couple of weeks. It will be really interesting to see the detail on that. And at the moment, I mean, looking at the, the countries already involved in bombing ISIS in Syria, you've got the US, you've got Bahrain, Jordan, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, United Arab, em- United Arab Emirates, beg your pardon. So this is not just a kind of a Western bombing campaign, which was the accusation against Iraq, wasn't it? There wasn't enough friends in the region, if you will. Um, This has obviously put the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn in a bit of a bind, to put it mildly. Uh, There was a a parliamentary Labour Party meeting this week, Paul, which you had your ear pressed up against the door to in Parliament. And you you just tell us a little bit about that, because it wasn't, it didn't go particularly well, did it? Uh, well, there's this lovely phrase that we always use in the lobby, which is, it's X's worst week ever. Um, and <laughs> days and, now, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's only two months into Jeremy Corbyn's reign, but people are already beginning to use this for this week. Um, now, there's a great Alistair Campbell joke, which is that if he added up, he went through and added up all the Tony Blair's worst weeks ever, and he found 52. It was a whole year's right. worth of worst weeks ever over the whole of his period. Um, and, Ca- and, and Campbell actually is quite relevant because... He tweeted this week um, that, uh, um, and it got lots of retweets, May showed you cannot win a general election if you're behind on the economy and leadership, add security as a negative 
and it's route time. When you say May show, you don't mean Theresa May. No, you mean the, election the May, May general right, election. Okay. Um, and he said, uh, basically the point that a lot of MPs were worried about the PLP, look, we're behind on the economy, we're behind on leadership. Christ, if we're behind on security now as well, um, then we're in real trouble. That's why the PLP had this extraordinary meeting on Monday night, um, and there's a definitive version of it on HuffPost, you'll all like to, Absolutely. Like to know. Who wrote um, that, Paul? Was that uh, you? That might have been me. Oh, okay. Anyway, that, that <laughs> meeting was quite extraordinary because MP after MP got up and challenged Jeremy Corbyn on a string of things that he'd said. For example, three-line whip on Syria. He couldn't answer whether or not there would be one. Um, the legality of shooting uh, jihadi John uh, and taking him out, he, he said that he had real problems with that. MPs didn't have much of a problem with that. But particularly on shoot to kill, when he appeared on uh, the BBC and said he would be unhappy generally with shoot to kill policy, that got MPs really, really well, particularly a, because a, of Paris. Sorry, let's have a clip of that now. Here's Jeremy Corbyn talking about shoot to kill. I would, I'm not happy with the shoot to kill policy in general. I think that is um, quite dangerous and I think can often be counterproductive. I think you have to have security that prevents people firing off weapons where you can. There are various degrees of doing things, as we know. But that, that line, he, he then clarified it later in the week, didn't he? He then did try and clarify it. He did. I mean, and HuffPoster put up online very quickly his line to the NEC. He, he did a clarification through a letter to the Labour's ruling National Executive Committee where he said, look, what I really meant by shoot to kill was, of course, if there are circumstances, emergency circumstances, where the police have to protect life, um, they might need sometimes to take life, but only, and he made it absolutely clear, with this legal proviso where it's strictly necessary force. Now that phrase is very important because under the law, cops need that as cover to make sure what they're doing is, is legal um, in, a, in a hostage situation. And that, that, I have to say, it all came home to everyone because of Paris, and John Mann was very forceful at the meeting on, on Monday night. He said, and he made a very emotional appeal, where he said, look, my niece Ruby, she was in the bar next to one of these restaurants. She was scared to death. She and her friends would lock themselves in the toilet for um, three hours because they were terrified they were going to be killed. Are you telling me, Jeremy Corbyn, that in those circumstances the cops shouldn't shoot to kill? What's it, the actual mood of, I mean, of, the, of Labour MPs now? It seems to have moved to, for some of them kind of from kind of to despair. I think Gavin Shooker, MP, tweeted yesterday, I think he just said, oh, well, there's always tomorrow. I mean, it just seems... What, there yeah, is this no. massive gap, obviously, between Corbyn and his huge support in the party membership and the PLP. It's going to be a story that's going to keep going for the next few years, as long as he's leader. That tension between the two is what colours a lot of politics. There's no question about it. Has, hasn't this kind of underlined one of the, the, the bigger problems about Corbyn in terms of, kind of appearance? The fact that he's having to put out a clarification on a policy as important as, 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 as shoot to kill. Put aside his kind of, let's say, left wing, some might say unelectable policies. In a time of crisis, you want a leader who looks strong, looks affirmative, looks like they know what they're doing. If you look at kind of Cameron this week, OK, he, he has his critics, but this is a guy that you can imagine. I don't know, I sometimes think of leaders as, as generals on horses. I knew during, you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bored I you about the other day in the office. No, I was in the office, what yeah. What are you talking about? But go well, on. Uh, uh, leadership, you know, you go into, you go into a war, general, in civil wars with, you would have, you know, generals sitting on top of horses and you would look up to that leader and think, this is somebody I can trust, this is somebody I can get behind. <laughs> can you imagine Jeremy Corbyn? On a horse. On a horse <laughs> a in bike. a civil war. <laughs> he would be on a bike. Can you imagine David Cameron... Probably you can. So your so role in leadership is, can you 
imagine them on a horse? Yeah, that is my that is my my only well, say. That's why I vote. Back in Frank and Tory. That's, that's how I vote. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's a point that um, was made on the news night last night, um, and we made this talking to Ken Livingstone when she kind of said to him. Um, kind of amused that you know voters looking at Labour might feel like like a wheel of fortune. They never know what's going to happen. It's not this kind of cohesive front oh, that Cameron right. puts across. Whether you like that front or not, or you like what he's doing or not, there is this argument that at least we'll know what he what he is. It's, it's it's this crucial axis of where the new politics of Jeremy Corbyn rubs up against basically media expectations and public expectations of what a leader looks like. I mean, you talk about what will they look like on horseback. I mean, uh, Corbyn's supporters would say, well, he looks a bit like, you know, Mexican revolutionary Pancho Villa, you know, on, a, on, a, on horseback. You know, he's, he's got these bullets wrapped around. We're expecting that reference today, not Just imagine. He's got, but the point is that he's got lots of support amongst the membership. Uh, he knows it. And that's why he is quite confident in what he's doing. He, one of the problems is sheer inexperience. I talked to someone in the shadow cabinet this week who said, look, I've gone from, you know, um, through all the process of, of learning how to be a shadow cabinet minister. He's come in parachuted from virtually nowhere, years as a backbencher. Suddenly it's his first time at the dispatch box even, first time on the mainstream media regularly. And of course, what's happened is he's still thinking aloud rather than doing what most leaders do, consult with the party, what's the policy line, um, and, you know, let's get it straight. He doesn't, so far, got into that process of thinking it through. So today, David Blunkett was on the radio and he said that he, uh, Corbyn's got about 18 months to prove himself, which leads us nicely onto Graham's Stat of the Week. S- st- still no jingle? That is the jingle, though. <laughs> no, that is the jingle. Just you so saying Stat of the Week. Stat of the Week. What? I'd like some kind of piano kind of motif or something. Next we haven't got the budget for that. <laughs> okay. Um, if so anyone wants to send us a piano. <laughs> a piano, yeah. yeah. Or a budget, yeah. Um, maybe the one that John Lennon played Imagine on. That would be yeah. quite nice. Anyway. Start um, of the week, come on. Um, the start of the week is, uh, since Clement Attlee became Labour leader in 1935, there have been 11 permanent leaders of the party. Um, on average, they've spent 2,880 days at the top of the party. 2,880 days, which is about seven years, ten months Seven years and ten months, right? Yeah. I'm really, at least literally the first time I've read this. On that basis... Here's the kicker. Yeah. Jeremy Corbyn has about seven years and six months left. <laughs> that was almost as long as it took to read that out. <laughs> well, I'll give the, uh, the listeners a view behind the curtain here because Owen has spelt the word there wrong. I know, but I so... corrected it on his copy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a long time. Seven years, seven more years of Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, you know? I hope so. Um, let's move on now to uh, Ken Livingstone, who this week um, got himself in a bit of bother with a fairly, well, no, fairly, a very offensive remark on mental health. We caught up earlier on with um, Brogan Driscoll, who worked on our lifestyle team, to go through this with her. Uh, so uh, this week, Ken Livingston got into trouble by uh, having a row with Shadow Defence Minister Kevin Jones. Um, he made kind of disparaging remarks about depression and mental health, which Kevin Jones, Jones has. Um, I'm with Brogan Driscoll, who's our senior lifestyle editor here at HuffPost, to talk about mental health and Livingston's comments. Um, Brogan, you know, what do you think Livingston's comments happened? Do you think how damaging do you think they were? Well, I th- obviously understand that he has since apologised for making mm. those um, comments. After, after a long time of being told to, though. Yeah, um, I mean, it's too little too late, really. Um, the, I think the damage has already been done. Um, the fact that, um, that Kevin Jones has a history of mental health um, issues is is almost irrelevant because this is those comments are so damaging because this is such a huge issue um, with in society in general, but especially um, among men. Um, we've got a 
month, this month called Building Modern Men, where we're trying to um, focus on some of the issues facing men nowadays. And um, mental health is a huge is a huge problem. We've um, they've got a poll out um, today, which shows that 42% of British men um, have experienced depression or anxiety in their lifetime. And we know from um, from recent figures that suicide is the biggest cause of death in men under 45. So this is not something to just throw out yeah, there without I mean, thought. It's Thursday today, which actually is International Men's Day, and there's a debate in Parliament today on this issue. I mean, it's obviously still a stigma attached to, isn't it, uh, for mental health, particularly for men. I mean, why is that? What's the, why do you think that is? Um, well, we've been working quite closely with, um, with MIND, a mental health charity, and also with CALM, which is the Campaign Against Living Miserably, which is um, a male suicide charity. And um, from discussions with those um, organisations, um, what's kind of um, come through is that men um, feel largely unable to talk about, um, about these issues. Um, that's kind of wrapped up in ish, um, expectations around masculinity um, and it's also um, taken in comparison with women um, because a lot of experts would say that um, that because women have kind of more community and networks right, right. and would perhaps feel more able to talk about their feelings um, yeah men men are kind of by comparison unable to talk about it um, and what is key to this is um, is the kind of trivialisation of mental health issues that has happened today. Um, and using it as, a, as an insult rather than as a, as Livingston did, can't help to, Exactly, to talk about something that's, um, to, to, in, an argue, in, a, in a discussion about defence policy, yeah. um, is completely irrelevant. But um, it also, you also see um, that kind of widely in society, some, um, you have people just kind of throw away comments, so like, oh, I'm a bit OCD about this, I'm a bit bipolar. Yeah, yeah. Um, when... That's an actual condition, and also you see it in media where you have journalists who like carelessly profile um, criminals with you know being kind of speculating about what their mental health might yeah. be without any concrete evidence. So I think that um, it it happens across society, but there are really influential influential people such as politicians and journalists that need to really get this right um, because as the as the stats show about men and mental health there are huge repercussions. That was Brogan Driscoll there talking about Ken Livingstone. Um, before we go on to the spending review, we have the 50-15 quote of the week, which is obviously my favourite feature, mm. because everyone reads these 50-15 interviews, <laughs> don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah, is the do. interviews we do with backbenchers who've been elected. I this read week, all of them. You read all of them. Yeah. This week it was Tom Purslove, who, if it wasn't for those those SMPers would be the youngest MP in Parliament. How old is he? 26. 26 years old. Tory, yeah. took over from Louise Mench's well, after Louise Mensch left and Labour won it, he won it back in Corby. His quote is, I think the Bond films are incredible. My favourite Bond is Roger Moore. I think you played the character brilliantly. It's the suave and sophisticated way he went about doing it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, excellent. Who, who's your quick favourite Bond, everyone? Uh, David Niven in Casino Royale, the spoof. That's, <laughs> the, that's the hipster answer, isn't it? Yeah, no, uh, uh, Pierce Brosnan. Paul? Brosnan. It's got to be Connery. Call me old-fashioned. George Lazenby, of course. Oh, <laughs> shut up. Idiot. Right. Pathos. That's all I'm saying. Graham. So, you know, so Graham, so, we're talking about the spending review, yeah? The James Bond of, 
I don't know, spending reviews. There's nothing there. No, no, that's a terrible segue, (laughs) Ned. Work on that for next week. Um, Yeah, so Wednesday, uh, red letter day for George Osborne. It's suspending review, which is the comprehensive suspending review, no no less. Um, Basically, he will outline um, deep uh, spending cuts to uh, government departments. Um, Up to about 30% is is, is what's been announced already in some departments. This is going to mean... Deep cuts and knock-on effects will be quite dramatic for people's lives. Everything from, um, you know, council services to uh, bobbies on the beat, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. On horses, on horses or not, um, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, so the two things to look out for will be um, the issue of tax credits. How is Osborne going to dig himself out of the hole that he got himself on that? Because that's been the excuse, isn't it? That's been the, what Cameron's been saying for the past few weeks to Corbyn at PMQs. Whenever Corbyn said. How many people are going to lose out in tax credits? His, his wait to the autumn statement, you'll find out, you'll find out the detail there. Yeah. That's what we're looking for. Absolutely. So it'll be interesting to see how, how, how he approaches that, whether he's going to kind of find cuts from elsewhere, whether he's going to taper the cuts that they, so they happen over, over a longer period. I think perhaps more, more interesting and what's developed in, 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 well, since, since Friday in the Paris attacks is what happens to, to, to police budgets. Um, and how we tackle extremism. Um, a lot of um, police chiefs, be that chief constables, uh, police and crime commissioners, even Tory MPs have been raising the issue of if you're cutting frontline police officers, these are the kind of first line in the defence against against terrorism. It is the kind of Bobby on the beat who sees a, I think this is, you made this reference earlier in the week, Paul, to me, you see an out-of-date tax disc or something like that and say, that's a bit fishy. Um, what's that van doing there? That one thing, one thing leads to another, and all of a sudden you've you found a bit of intel that you wouldn't have had already. And this is a kind local of warning. knowledge, as we as we call it in the old journalism game, don't we? A bit of local knowledge. But yeah, yeah, a, 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 absolutely. So, so, so the government's under pressure to, to to can actually find a bit of protection for for police budgets. And Labour has said, Andy Byrne in the shadow, um, Home Secretary has said, no more than cuts of five percent to police budgets would be significantly less than. The cuts are being talked about um, for other departments. So it'll be interesting to see actually whether they actually deliver on that, and that will be certainly one of the headlines, I think, in the, the that, next day. It, I mean, it's a fascinating battle going on behind the scenes here because the one department that's yet to settle, lots of departments have settled with the Treasury, one department yet to settle so far is the Home Office, and that's because Theresa May knows, look, I've got a bit of an opportunity here. Lots of Tories are supporting me to say, look, protect the police budget. Neighbourhood policing, though, in particular, mm. um, she's beginning to wake up to it being a real political problem and obviously we talked about Ken Livingston earlier. Um, Ken Livingston for, again for all his faults did push really hard with Ian Blair in the Met. This, they rolled out this brand new idea of a community support police officers, a team of basically four of these PCSOs and two regular cops that go out in a team of six into your local area. Now since then they've all been cut back but a lot of forces are saying they could be cut back even further or abolished completely and that's what's worrying former cops on the ground, but also some very senior former commissioners, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. In response, the government would say that, they're, that I think Cameron's argument at PMQs, that they've actually had more police officers on the front line in the, in the last five years, despite the cuts. They've moved people from back offices to, to kind of doing the patrolling beat. But I can raise quite a few eyebrows in terms of where that figure's come from, whether that's actually correct. Well, no doubt we'll discuss that more next week. Uh, just finally, it's this week's quiz, everyone's favourite part of the show. 
I went along. This is still in. We're still doing, still doing this. the quiz. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I love the quiz. I went along to um, a Leaf.eu launch this week. Um, I don't know what they were launching. It was a bit odd. But they had an American guy there who runs referendums, and he mentioned that in Maine, the American state of Maine last year, yeah. they had a referendum on whether or not jelly donuts and pizza can be used to bait bears. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. They voted no, which leads me on to this week's quiz. Yeah. I'm going to read out a list of referendum, and you've got to tell me whether or not these actually <laughs> happened or didn't. Was it a referendum or a referendum? This is good. What was last week's? Last week's was this is, this is, a, this is a notch up. This is last a notch yeah, yeah, up. for me to say. Okay. In New Zealand in 2009, was there a referendum on whether smacking children should be made a criminal offence? Yes, referendum. Definitely. Oh. oh, that was quick, man. That's quick. Yeah. These, these are secret Kiwi. I, I suspect it is true. Yeah. Uh, I, I, no, I'm going to say it's not true. It is referendum. It did happen, and 87.4% of people voted no. I was living there, so there you go. Oh, you didn't tell uh, me that. Uh, okay. Insight. Um, insight. Local knowledge, they call it. Okay. In 1999, the state of South Carolina held a referendum on whether to ban comics which promoted vigilantism and violence, such as Batman. Referendum, I think that's true as well. That's so crazy. It's got to be true. Yeah, it's so obscure. Because they have loads you, you of referendums. Right referendum. Oh, you did make it up. Okay. Okay. Uh, in 2005, following a complaint from the National Veterinarian Association of Armenia, right. there was a referendum <laughs> yeah. on whether weekends should be extended to cover farm animals such as goats to stop animals dying of exhaustion. What do you mean weekends extended? What? Like, so get weekends like get time off? Yeah. Is that like, whole phrase on the ballot paper? <laughs> what what do goats do at the weekend? Because they were like what doing goat, doing, I don't know, they were doing farm work, right? And they were saying, look, give them a couple of days off, they're getting knackered. <laughs> this is referendum. Referendum. That's so yeah, I know the Armenians. Yeah, they would, they would have. No, it's referendum. Yeah. You said Armenia for the first time you've ever said it as well. <laughs> okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find one here which has actually happened. Uh, <laughs> you know where the next one? Oh, okay, here, here's one that maybe didn't happen. <laughs> uh, was there a referendum in 2011 on regulating the price of books in Switzerland to make them all the same price because people were worried that people weren't affording books? Yeah, a referendum, that's true. That sounds very organised and Swiss. Yeah, they're quite progressive people, aren't they? That's... Got referendums on everything, so yeah. Yeah, yeah that is true, it was rejected. Uh, uh, and just finally, also in uh, Switzerland, did they once vote to get rid of their army? No. <laughs> actually, they wanted, did they actually want a country without an army? Uh, I'm going to say that's true. 1989. Referendum. 1989. Um, oh, that's so bananas. You're trying to gull us because they have so many referendums. I think that's untrue. Referendum. Say it, yeah. Referendum. <laughs> Re- referendum. Is there a Swiss army knife reference in there somewhere? No. Uh, refer- no, referendum. I'm going to say, yeah. Which one's that? The good. The, the oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> True. True. It did happen. <gasps> it was rejected. In 1989, they wanted Sweden to be a country without an army. Sweden, not Switzerland, mate. Switzerland, sorry. Wait, hang on. No, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> right, okay, that's the end of this week's podcast. Thank you much for listening. Uh, next week, we'll be discussing, no doubt, the uh, spending review, and there will be another quiz. <sighs> See you later. Bye. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.